Friends, welcome to another True Tone Lounge. And today we have a special guest. We have Dan Strain of Danocaster Guitars. You've you've seen his guitars. You've seen them fly, you know, off Instagram and out dealer shelves, and and uh, but you don't know the man. And so for years I've been begging Dan to do an interview, and finally he relented. And so thank you, Dan, for relenting to doing this interview. So. You know, it's good to finally meet you, Zach. It's good yes. to put a face with a name. Yeah, yeah. And the gifts will show up in a couple of weeks. There's going to be a big deep freeze That's and there's right. going to be steaks that will be delivered, you know, every Friday. Nice. Yeah, we're going to fill it up. It's going to be great. Great. All right. So, Dan, I think people need to know, you know, kind of where, where it all started. And of course, for you, it starts as, as playing guitar first. So tell yeah. us about, you know, getting into the guitar and, and kind of your history as a guitarist before we go into the builder. Well, as a little kid, uh, a friend of the family gave uh, me a ukulele and gave my brother a snare drum. And I felt like I got ripped off, man. I was like, a ukulele, a ukulele is not cool at all. But as time went on, uh, I kind of started messing around with it and uh, borrowed a friend's acoustic and just kind of, I mean, we're talking second or third grade, you know, and just kind of started playing. And I kind of messed around on his little acoustic guitar until his mom came knocking at the door saying, uh, Howard needs his acoustic guitar back, you know? <laughs> so then I think my parents were like, we need to get him one. So it's second or third grade. There wasn't really much music in the house like no you know i think my brother played drums briefly banging around on it but nobody would really pursued music i didn't have musical parents really um and uh and so i just kind of through grade school kind of did the typical you know learn classic rock and take my guitar to school and hey you show me how to play dream on and i'll show you how to play we're an american band you know and and um that's it just kind of played in the high school bands uh, all through college. But in college, I really started getting more serious about recording and stuff like that. And that, that sort of changed my vision from just kind of playing in my room or playing classic rock stuff with friends, just trying to be a little bit more creative. Yeah. What was your first good guitar? Ooh, my first good guitar. So the one my parents got me after Howard's mom took his back was a little Yamaha FG acoustic, you know, FG 110 acoustic that I had. I didn't really, that was sort of my main guitar acoustic. But then in, I bought a Bradley Telecaster, which was made from out of Veneman Music. I think it was like a house brand called Bradley. And right. it was a blonde, kind of like what I love right now is a blonde maple neck, cheapo, you know, $200 Telecaster. And um, uh, I had that. My first good guitar was a 1971, I think, Olympic white Strat that I bought for $310 out of the paper. And I, I kept that all through college. That was, and I was sort of a Strat guy. That was, I had one guitar and I was sort of a Strat guy. Yeah. Yeah. So you, 
you started with uh, you started recording, and so yeah. of course that that really that changes you as a player because all yeah. of a sudden you're, you're you're hearing yourself back because yeah. you know when you're when you're playing you know when you're not recording at all you know even if you're playing gigs it's kind of like you're not really getting the feedback of of hear of hearing your, your hearing yourself back and hearing yeah you know so what were you learning from from recording guitar oh um you know interesting so in kind of the years after after high school i had like a four track and it was running around but when i went to college one of the guys in my dorm this guy jeff had an eight track and he was experimenting around and doing stuff and like hey he heard me noodling and like hey can you you know play on a couple tracks and one thing that he said that really stuck with me was like, hey, you need to come up with a part that if they take it away, you're like, hey, what happened to that part? You know? Yeah. And so if the track came up and I was just kind of playing chords, he was like, ah, you know, anybody can kind of do that. Like, do, you know, you come up with something that's like, catch a little part that if we take it away or the keyboard player wants to be like, hey, I'll, I'll do that with you or something. And so that was like, so I kind of became a parts guy more than, and even to this day, more than I have like the facility to kind of shred, I kind of can more like, oh yeah, cool. That feels good. Good part, you know, good vibe. More than like, you know, here I am tearing it up. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think when I went down that path of recording, you hear yourself back and you, you start, your ears get bigger, as they say, you know, you start listening to the drums and you realize, man, I got to get in that pocket and man, I'm clashing the keyboard players right there. I need to go to a higher register. I need to go to a lower register. This is the wrong guitar. This, you know, and yeah. you, you start thinking, at least I started thinking more like a producer, you know, parts. Like I loved Johnny, um, Johnny Marr from the Smiths who just has this way of interweaving all these guitar parts and they just work, you know, and that, I kind of love that. I love the, um, putting it together like a puzzle, you know, all the little parts that work together as a whole. That, that's that's my bag more than even more than live there's you know there's live guys that can which man i have massive respect for that can get out there and play amazing parts they look cool they're comfortable in front of ten thousand people jumping around and then there's a whole another thing the guy that's just kind of quietly sitting in the corner kind of coming up with these parts you know and this town is full of those guys you know but that's kind of that's kind of what i always ascribe to you know a parts guy and like you you asked when you hear yourself back, like timing is a big, even last night I was kind of goofing around. I was like, Hey, I want to record that. And I listened back. I'm like, man, I'm rushing like crazy, you know, just playing <laughs> with myself. And like the more you hear yourself back playing with others, it really starts honing your musicality. You know, if you play by yourself, you can be great, but there's a different thing that happens when you're interacting and when your part's really important, you know? Fantastic.
So tell us how how things progressed with you recording to where you started kind of doing a, a level of of you know of of producing and then of course having a, a band with with your wife. Yeah, take take yeah. us up through that. So I was in California and had been doing you know kind of B level sessions, nothing big, you know. But I mean, had the huge Bradshaw rig and invested mm. tons of money in gear and was full as as much as I'm into vintage tellies now. I was into tri-stereo, of course, and the whole 80s rack thing. So, you know, I had poofy hair and a 20-space rack and acid wash jeans. And then I moved back to uh, Virginia and met my wife. And uh, we quickly sort of got on and, and discovered we both were musicians, you know. And I excitedly wanted to show her, like, oh, my, my new rig. And it was this giant Bradshaw and I plugged in and she was like it sounds like a keyboard it doesn't even sound like a you know she was like give me the clash you know she was totally coming from a different place and but I loved that stuff I mean I grew up on that and in the 80s I kind of got into the session thing so meeting her and us starting to do music together she was way more like give me two guitars bass and drums and let's like knock it out like a band you know and so we actually she started just kind of doing things on the piano and stuff. And I'd be like, man, that's, you should work on that. You know, and she had never really pursued her own songs. And so just because I had recording stuff and we're, I mean, not even realizing we were gonna start working together so much, we just started working on her songs and it really turned into a project. And then um, we were living in DC and really felt like we wanted to get out of DC. We came to Nashville and started recording demos and in about a year, like we really hadn't done a single, uh, we had some small labels before we even had a gig just from like these demos. But once we started playing around in a band called Porcelain, Columbia Records out of New York kind of came knocking. And so we did a record for them and it's, you know, the stuff that we did on our own, like in our bedroom with just a drummer and then Val and I playing everything, you know, uh, on, to ADATs, you know, there was freedom in that. And it was really fun. And I hear that back and I'm like, yeah, it sounds 20 years old, but yeah, good times. The major label thing, it, that was a much more rough ride because they kind of wanted to make us into Lilith Fair and then that died and they wanted to make, I mean, it, we sort of felt like manipulated into something different, but it was, it was something that we got to do together. That was really fun. And we got farther than most people. I mean, it was, you know, they released our record the same time as John Mayer's first record. And, you know, and so like one record kind of blows up in 20 sort of fall to the end. I mean, it's, it's that, it's the major label story, you know? Yeah. Um, and so after the sort of crush of like, wow, we've been doing music and we've been let down. I kind of, we still had all this recording gear and I started, well, let me work on these other projects. And so I kind of started producing other little artists and that built for a couple of years until I was doing um, you know, $25,000 indie records for people, you know? And at the same time, when Val and I had this band, I had some not as nice old guitars as I have now, but I had some nice cool vintage guitars and we were touring around and I was kind of worrying about taking those out. So kind of at the same time the mixing thing was happening, I was kind of starting to find other guitars and trying to make them old or trying to make them feel like my old guitars ones that I didn't have to worry about. And I'm doing it all at the same time I'm producing. And so I'd finish one and 
would be on the road and someone would be like, hey, what's that guitar? I'm like, oh, it's just something I made. You got to sell that to me. Uh, okay. You know, and so I kind of, to friends or just, just a few, I mean, like a, the first dozen guitars, that's really what it was. I was building them for myself, trying to replace them and touring at the same time. Uh, not, not touring, producing at the same time. And then one, uh, I'm trying to think when it was, maybe 2008 or something like that. Um, the client that I had that was going to do a record over the holidays uh, for a record bailed. And I'm like, oh man, that's like, you don't have a paycheck for three months. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll make a couple of these guitars and put them on the gear page. So I did and they boom, boom, they went pretty quick. And I'm like, wow, this could be a way to get me just through the holidays. Well, you know, until the next record. Um, and so I did that and they quickly started taking off. And I mean, this time they were, it wasn't what they call freaking Danocaster. It was really like Fender necks off eBay. I mean, I was really right. kind of piecing some together. This is really early on. Yeah. But then the demand started, hey, I'll buy one, I'll buy one, I'll buy one. And then, and again, at the same time, I'm figuring out how to work my craft, how to, these necks aren't really working. You know, these, these made in Japan Fender necks, I, they, it's too hard to get them to like my old ones. And, and uh, you know, and this is all happening at the same time when I'm mixing, you know, trying to, trying to balance everything. You know, trying to turn records down or figure out, well, so, and eventually the mixing thing just went away and I just began just focusing on, on how to make these guitars more like what I was after, you know, and I was getting inquiries from the gear page and what I was posting was selling and I'm getting sort of, Hey, can you mix this? And can you do that? Can you play guitar? And it was like a period of about a year where I was trying to figure out how to do everything. And it was just, I saw the Dano guitar path as like, that's, that's more fun. That's more me. And so, and I sort I just eventually just kind of stopped doing the mixing and just kind of focused on perfecting the guitar stuff. Yeah. So just to, to drill down on what those original yeah. guitars, you, you were getting made in Japan, you know, Fender necks with Fender logos on them or from eBay or wherever. And then you were, what were the rest of the parts? I mean, were you, were you, so it was really like, I mean, I was really just making a guitar for myself, you know? Yeah. So at the time, I didn't really, I see it back now and I'm like, what was I thinking about? Just like a black guard with a rosewood neck. And I mean, there's so many period eras blended in that now it drive me crazy, you know? But I was just buying parts on like, I need a Fender bridge, I need a Telecaster bridge. And so yeah. I look on eBay, oh, there's one. I need to tell, you know, and, and the Made in Japan necks felt good and they looked good. And they looked more vintage than all the American standard stuff. And, but pretty soon, people started realizing those necks were pretty cool and they started going for a lot of money, you know? Yeah. So now on eBay, these necks are six or $700 for like a made in Japan neck. So, but it was any parts I could find any bodies. I mean, it was WD already painted bodies and just, I mean, Oh, there's a body on eBay and I'd take it and well, that looks too shiny. And so I'd like steal all the whole thing. And I'd be like, well, that kind of looks like crap, you know? And I'd be like, well, maybe I'll bury it, you know, and I'll bury it for a week. And that, did really good. Maybe I'll the oven and I'll put it in the oven at like 150 degrees for two hours, you know, and that's, a, and I mean, I tried, I, you wouldn't, I poured vinegar all over it and let it say, I just was just trying to find natural, like, you know, like 
I didn't want to sandpaper the thing with like a forearm because I knew that wouldn't, because I had vintage guitars, you know? I would see what I had. I'm like, well, that's, I didn't know how to make it old. So I was just randomly trying stuff and I ruined a lot of stuff and I figured out some stuff, you know? Yeah. And that was all just with bodies and stuff from wherever I could find them. And pretty soon with sort of both the necks and the bodies, I realized uh, if I'm going to make this work, I've kind of got to start from scratch, you know? Uh, you know, some of these bodies, they don't fit together right. They're way too heavy. Is this a poly finish? Like, I don't even know what this is. It's just something I bought, you know, I bought off eBay. So um, one of the guys that's now, this is another way that the production and the Danocaster comes together. I was doing sort of helping a good friend of mine, Amy, who had a record done here in Nashville. It was a little bit too country. She wanted it kind of more Cheryl Crow kind of thing. And so I was kind of, trying to vibe up her record a little bit. And her husband came over to sort of pay her bill and we hit it off. And that's Paulie. That's the guy that I paint guitars with right now. And he was like a guitar guy. So we started talking about stuff and, oh, you paint guitars. And so we started about finishing. What if I got some bodies and, you know, and so we, the first two guitars we ever did were just two, um, <clears throat> what were they? Two, Alder bodies that we painted Dakota red. He still has his, the red Baron. He's his very, it's like the very, it was probably the number two Danocaster, mine and his. And that really changed a lot when we painted and I could be like, that's not the hue. I mean, we really, that sort of took me down the rabbit hole of like, okay, now I can tweak colors. And how come that blonde, anyway, let's try. And then Paul's really good at colors too. He's got amazing paint technique. And we just became really good friends. So. I went down the rabbit hole with him of painting. At the same time, I'm working with other people on trying to find the right woods and weights and the necks, and we can go into that, but there's all these different areas, all that came together because of a meeting with the production person, you know, and that was all fading away. And, uh, and now Paul's a big part of my team. I kind of went down my own rabbit hole there. Yeah. So, so again, the first ones yeah. were the main Japan and just, you were throwing parts together. <laughs> right. then, you, then you have, you know, what, I guess what we're getting into when you start, started getting raw bodies and necks, then we start, right. is that the freaking era? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So the fenders, um, obviously had a fender logo and I didn't really want to use that. And so I came up with this logo that looked just like it said fender, but it said freaking, you know? Yeah. Freaking Danocast. It was really cool. Uh, and from a distance, looked like Fender. It was light, I was using licensed headstocks. And I did a bunch of those on the gear page. Um, and uh, some of them, you know, it, it started getting a little bit weird because some people would ask for no logo. And you know where that was headed. You right. know? Uh, and so after a couple of years of doing guitar, and I would put them on there and they would sell really quick. And so I started taking order. This is sort of develops into another story. So I started taking, but well, let me back up. To answer your question, yeah. So the freaking era was licensed necks, custom bodies. That's where I really started learning things. Still not where I am now, but I was, I was putting things together and using that freaking logo for probably a year and a half or something like that. And during that era, I was taking custom orders. So those guitars could really be anything. I mean, I didn't, you know, people could say, I want a, you know, giant neck with 12 inch radius. And I, I kind of like, eh, it's not my thing, but okay. You know? And right. so people say, Hey, what are the specs on this man? It, it really could be anything, you know? And 
through that, I kind of started realizing like, eh, custom orders aren't really, I mean, I get it how you want to satisfy the customer and that's supremely important to me. But that was one of the things I realized quickly on about custom orders. Like, yeah, that's a lot of stuff. I don't, 12 inch radius, jumbo frets, you know, you want a Steve by monkey grip in there too. I mean, it was just like a lot of stuff that really was not what I wanted to do, but that was, but the freaking era was really where it was whatever you want kind of outdo for a period of about less than two years, maybe. And then it, it came to an end because you got a letter. I did get the letter, yeah. So yeah. Um, apparently freaking Danocaster is a little bit too close to Fender Telecaster. And um, yeah, and so I, just, I got a letter from, um, from Fender's legal and they have a way of scaring you quite a bit, you know? But I immediately was like, okay, that's it. I stopped all license. I never sold another license neck. I completely did away with the Dano logo. And I was like, all right, I got to abide. Um, and I just changed up my thing and probably stopped for a couple months. Um, and it was interesting during that period too, um, I was also developing a new neck. Uh, the, the freaking era necks, even though we did all the, the shaping and well, not quite as much fretwork as we do now, but we did a lot to them. They basically just got a lacquer finish and which is great. That's what most people do. Um, but during the transition to the, the new, not licensed headstock and the new signature Danocaster logo guitars, during that period, I was really working on a new finish that came more out of uh, furniture, studying furniture. Like uh, th- that was a lot of, a lot of the, methods that I've discovered that really worked for me are they it's from talking to old guys who restore antiques and stuff like that you know more woodworking stuff it's, it's kind of interesting but so that's how I stumbled upon uh making my next feel older and that so the the next era after freaking was just the Danocaster signature logo series and they all during that time I got a new guy on my team uh JW who does amazing fret work and uh we finished with this new finish and so the next that have the there's maybe a few of the very last few freaking may have had that finish but for the most part that was a big transition to the new headstock also has uh JW's fret work and and has a new finish on the neck and then now we're really tweaking when you get to the Dan that now now we're into me kind of really getting deep into the woods. Yeah, I felt like that one of the things that was one of the the hallmarks of your, of your guitars is the is the neck. It's yeah. the uh, not only the way it's shaped, the fretwork, and also the the feel of the neck, and the fact that you instead of just trying to replicate what had been done before in spraying a lacquer finish, you came up with your your own thing because it was about trying to make it feel like an old neck, which you can't just spray lacquer and relic it or do other things. It's like you, you know, when, when your goal is just a, a good feeling neck that feels good in your hand. You know. Yeah, well, the thing that drives me crazy is the ones that feel so great, the old ones, they did just spray lacquer. That's all they did, but yeah. it just got, it got played for 30 years, you know? 
and not, not all of them wore perfectly. So I had to kind of go a different path. Like I kind of wanted to look like that, but more than anything, I just kind of want that smooth, not bare wood, but just like fast, you know, finish. And, and the neck is also how you connect to the guitar, you know? So most players, when they pick up a guitar, if the neck feels good, they're almost, you almost just see it. Oh yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they just react right away if the size is wrong or there's something about the leg, you can just tell from a player, they, they kind of don't like it. So the neck, the neck is something that I spend more, t uh, I spend a lot of time on my necks. Yeah. Just, yeah. And, and you, and you kind of, and you kind of drilled it down to a, a, a couple different neck shapes, because again, during the freaking era, you were doing, yeah. you know, pretty much anything somebody anything. wanted, but then, then you got down to where you, you kind of narrowed it down to just a couple of neck shapes and uh, that were based on some of your own guitars, right? Yeah, and that came about because, so the other thing with a custom order, and you know, again, so grateful to all the people who did custom orders, but when someone says, I want this and this and this and this, you put it all together and that's their guitar, you know? And I was like, if I can standardize the necks a little bit more, I can sort of mix and match things, you know? I can be like, well, I've got three of these necks and that neck, I don't know, it just sounded dull. And I put this one on, well, I, the whole guitar comes together. And the first neck that was maybe dull or dark or bright finds a perfect home somewhere else, you know? And so I was doing a lot of swapping early on when I decided to kind of standardize my necks. And so I went with um, just a typical 60s, medium C, 0.83, just like a nice, maybe a tiny bit bigger than your average 60s fender, but just like a nice comfortable C. And then I found a chunky C, which was based on a, um, a 64 Jazzmaster I had, which is sort of a chunky air, just a little bit clubbier, a little bit rounder. Um, and then a soft V, which was off my favorite telly, much like yours, just kind of that, it, my model isn't quite as big as mine. Um, I was worried it may be too big for people. Interestingly, now I am just doing some larger ones, more like ours, but, but 0.88 was a soft V and then a 0.90 C, which is really bigger than most fenders, but just like a bigger neck for those that wanted bigger necks. And, and ultimately I did even make a big 0.93, but that's way bigger. As I'm finishing up some necks I've had for a while, every 9.3 I put out there, people are like, yeah, I can handle it. That's oh, too big. It's, it's a pretty big neck. <laughs> You know, so yeah, most of my necks are in a radius where like they're all pretty comfortable. Most people can, you know, the 83, the 86, the 88, they're like, oh, they're all pretty interchangeable. None are huge, none are small, but they're standardized. So I can sort of mix and match and, you know, really find combinations that work good. There's not some weird neck in there. So if I'm trying to make a neck or trying to make a guitar for someone special or just trying to make a guitar special. I'm not limited to just that one neck because someone specced it out. I've got four or five done. Right. You know, and sometimes it's just look, sometimes that one's more orangey and it looks better with the butterscotch that I'm doing. And this one's a little bit lighter and it's going to look better with that thin line because it's more of a seventies thing, you know? So even the way the wood reacts to, you know, some, you do a bunch of necks and one turns out really dark. Like think of how dark your neck is on your old one, you know? Yeah. And mine's pretty dark too. And then some of the old ones are kind of lighter, you know? So even as you just finish the next, some turn out darker and some turn out lighter just by the way the wood responds. 
And so mix and matching again, there's just so much freedom when I went to more standardized that wasn't following a checklist. So let's talk about this kind of, uh, I guess, kind of recipe aspect where, mm-hmm. you know, you, it seems like, you know, that you will take, you know, bodies and necks and you will try to match them up, or maybe you're taking hardware and pickups. There's all these things that are kind of in the recipe yeah. and, and, and you're kind of taking, like if the guitar ends up being overly bright, well, then you're going to put darker pickups or tell it, tell us how that works where you, yeah. Well, so I used to do a lot more swapping, you know, and to be perfectly honest, I've like, as far as a telly goes, I mean, I've done so many tellies. I kind of can almost tell like with this weight, I'm going to want this, you know? Um, but man, yeah, there's so many different things. The, uh, even the bridge plate, you know, the sound of the bridge plate, like, there's all these different little things, you know, and, and we go down the rabbit hole, you and I have done it, different friends have done it about the sound of saddles or, hey, what's the sound of maple cap versus one piece versus rosewood or what do you, is a one piece body sound different, you know, like every one of those things, you sort of, at least I've taken the time to sort of explore a little bit, you know, um, but like um, the bridge plate. Um, the old vintage ones are kind of just a cheap, you know, metal bridge plate. Um, And so everybody's improved on it and that's great. And there's all these improvements and with them, yeah, it's more sustained and oh, that's better and it's deeper bass and they're improvements, but they also move it away from what it was, you know? And even though that may be a small incremental thing, if you do that with the saddles and the this and the pickups and if everything changed out, hey, we got these new improved pots and now we're doing a gut buster or whatever it is, you know, all these wiring things, they can be really cool, but it gets it further and further away from vintage. And so I've really, when people have said, hey, can you do a four-way switch or can you do this? I'm always, eh, I, I'm kind of such a traditionalist and the recipe, the recipe has been, I've really kind of fought to keep the recipe um, just to offer like, oh, brass saddles with these pickups and steel saddles with these pickups because the the small things really make a difference. And I mean, we could spend hours talking about any one of those little things, you know, um, but the mix and match was really useful early on to kind of see how heavy your bodies a little bit heavier was good until they got too heavy until they got up to the high sevens and it's like okay now we're getting bright and then you start getting into the low low sixes and people start getting excited because it's so light but you're like wow you lose a lot of mid bass like there's a and maybe in a track and in a band you wouldn't really notice it or may even be helpful but sitting in front of an amp you notice like there's weight that's not there from this super light guitar um and that's not really bad because some people like really super light guitars, but then I think, ah, to make up for it, you really kind of want a thicker, more bold bridge pickup. The neck pickup won't be, the neck pickup will probably be more open. On a lighter guitar, it could be nice and open, and but the bridge pickup needs that girth um, on a super light guitar. Uh, and same thing on a, on a heavy guitar, um, as it starts getting bright, you know, you want to make sure you, have a pickup that's not uh, not too bright on the top of this. So I guess I have all these different, um, trying to think how to say this, like uh, one of the winders I use a lot is Bud, um, Dave Badinsky at Bud's Pickups. 
And we've really tweaked over the years of like, okay, here's a play on my pickup for the lighter guitars. You know, I call them, there was the first Dano, the Dano 2.0, the Alnico 3. There's all these different sets that I use as uh, not color palettes, but just as tools to kind of balance these guitars out. If I know one's super light and I want it to be full, but not too bright, I've got this pickup, you know? And there's all these, uh, whether it was, you know, Peter Florence, uh, who's now gone, um, who made really wonderful aggressive pickups or Ron Ellis, who makes these very articulate pickups. Everybody's got a different voice in their pickups. Um, and so just kind of, trying to find the right combinations, you know, and I think not straying from the original recipe of like when I use Ron Ellis pickups, it's a, you know, it's a straight up 52 Blackguard kind of thing he does. So with that, I think it really makes a difference to have a vintage type bridge plate and brass saddles and a really light ash body and sort of a big maple neck. And if, you did all that, but you did an alder body, it would still be cool, but it, it's enough of a difference or even a rosewood neck or even steel saddles, you know, all that stuff, there's so subtleties. And so I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole of each one of these things, you know, trying to mix and match and find out what works. And now I think I've just done it enough times and I get it wrong and I have to swap obviously, but I have a much better gauge of what to shoot for first, you know? Yeah, I was really glad that you, you know, that you kind of expanded on that because I was going to ask about the fact that you use uh, a lot of different manufacturers of pickups. So yeah. it's like, you know, Rocket Fire, Arcane, Ellis, you know, Buds, you know, there's all, all these different, all yeah. these different guys that you use. And it's, it's so that you can, you know, take whatever you, you, you know, you've got the pieces of wood. And then you've got, you know, the hardware and then it's your, it seems like your kind of final taste testing or, you know, the, the kind of the, the icing on the cake is which, which, uh, which pickup you're going to use. Yeah. And they really, and it's, it's really cool to have a different, uh, like you don't always want to, like, I love building white guards, you know, but there's a bunch of different voice, you know, some are big and bold and some are twangier and so and I, it's kind of nice to build different guitars, you know, in the same way vintage guitars are all different you know, no two are the same, building a Strat over and over with rocket fire pickups, as great as they are, it's cool to, hey, check out, there's a young guy from Italy um, who makes Celentano, you know, he's young, I mean, he's just getting going, but he sent me some pickups, I'm like, these things are great, you know, and I sent it out to a couple other people to, to get their opinion on it, and they're like, yeah, we love these things, so he's a young guy who's just kind of getting going, but it's really exciting to be part of it, Maybe I can help them out, get them in some cool guitars, but they sound great, you know? Uh, and some of the younger guys, well, not some of the younger guys, but some people are more eager to tweak, you know what I mean? And, and go yeah. down that rabbit hole with you because they're kind of smaller. When you get, as Jason Lawler will do that too, but when your company gets really big, they're supplying so many people, it's a lot harder for them hey, what if we did this? And, you know, they would do it, but it just takes a lot more effort because they don't have the time. They, you know, they have such a big business to run. So sometimes the small guys are really fun to, to take down the rabbit hole with me, you know? Yeah. And I, I noticed, you know, of course, you did a restoration for me on a 57 Esquire that, you know, was a really fun process. Yeah. And one, one of the kind of results or kind of things that happened after that 
was I noticed that you started selling, doing a, a premium white guard that now had a, a Ron Ellis pickup that was uh, kind of based on yeah, the, the, the pick. Yeah. Ours, yeah. whatever. Yes. Based on the, the pickups that are in that era of guitar. So I thought that was kind of a, a neat thing that came, came from that where. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, we're, I'm always tweaking. I mean, like, um, yeah, like regarding that, um, my white guard, 57, 58, didn't have an original bridge pickup. And sort of right when you were working on yours, I was like, man, I gotta go searching for, I, it's just now's the time, you know? And I, when I finally, and I had had some great pickups in there and just, a, it's a great guitar. You could pull anything in there and it's gonna sound good. But when I put an original in there, it was like a whole different ball game. Yeah. And so that led me down a whole path of like, now what does yours measure, Zach? And what is yeah. it, let's try to get Ron to do. And so, so yeah, so now we're tweaking. They're sort of a little bit hotter. They're a little stagger pole a certain way. And they just have a certain aggressive twang and cut without putting too thick. And so, yeah, so Ron's wound a couple and they've been really well received and I've loved them. So we're doing more of that and, and dealing with your, and I've been playing mine a lot more after we did you got me all excited about my old one was kind of i was playing my dano a lot and i was really excited about my own you know personal dano caster and it was really fun to pull it out and i learned uh, you know the more you play these you, you're always learning things and like uh, the fin i'm put actually on my own i have a lace painted dano caster that's like my own personal one right now and i've actually been putting a little bit more finish on the back of the neck because when i go back to mine as great as the Dano finish feels to me, it was like, it's, it can be fast, but there's a little, it's still a little bit glossier on my old. And, and I like it. I don't know if everybody else is gonna like it, but I'm, I'm trying that. And I'm also making, like we talked about, um, a bigger V, a 0.92 V, uh, and even got a couple coming in vintage radius, you know, just trying to, you know, get as close as I can. So yeah, what are they like, you know? Yeah. Um, and even the way, like, the way we roll the edges on the neck, which has a lot to do with the way it feels. I was looking at my old one and just, um, we're tweaking. It's funny because I decided how to roll these things years ago. And then I showed my wife Val, who we call Valocaster, showed her, here's how you do it. And boy, man, she has perfected it. So people are like, I love what you do this. I mean, that's Val. In fact, if I do it, She's not around and I'll kind of do a couple next and she'll come back and look at those. Uh, that's, that's not my work. Do you, you want me to redo those for you? You know, so she's really, she's got her, her feel down. And I was talking to her about the looking at mine going, you know, it's real, slightly different. So just little tweaks, you know, we're always trying to, to do that. Maybe no one else really notices, but as the guy who's putting them together and really dialing them in, we spend a shocking amount of time on, these things sometimes, you know, yeah. people kind of think sometimes we're just cranking them out and, 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 and we have cranked them out. You know, we have gone through periods where we really worked hard getting them out, but, um, but we spent a tremendous amount of time down the rabbit holes, experimenting and stuff, you know? So another hallmark of, of your instruments is the, uh, uh, you know, of course the aging on them and yeah. uh, it's, you know, it's much more realistic than a lot of the aging that you see out there. And I, you know, I attribute it to the fact that you own, you know, you've owned a lot of vintage guitars through the years and you, yeah, it seems like you really take the time to study them. Yeah. I, it's, I, I think that's right. I think part of it is having some old ones 
you know, and there's honestly, everybody who does what I do has their own tricks. And so I look at other people and like, man, how does he do this? Like, I'd give him this trick if he'd give me that. Like, you know, everybody has their own style. Um, but I think mine is kind of understated, which is kind of how a lot of the older ones are, you know. Um, I've probably done some that are super heavy, but for the most part, I try to make them look natural and my finish is so thin that boy, when you see one who see someone who's like had it on the road for a while, yeah. and comes back and it's like, wow, man, you're really putting some miles on that. And there's like, I remember I made a guitar for Keith Urban in 2000, oh, it was right during the flood. So it, yeah, it was kind of one guitar he didn't lose during the flood because I had it beating it up more for him. He was like, hey man, I love this thing, but like, can you just beat it up for me? I want to look more beat up on stage. I'm like, oh yeah. And while that was happening, everything else was getting destroyed. But um, reel me back in. Where was I? You're talking about aging and you'd, you'd mentioned oh, yeah. you know, tricks that you had. Yeah. Yeah. So just different tricks over the, just going slow and, and um, yeah, really, I, I think it, it's seeing the old stuff, going slow, trying things and um doing it over a slow period of time. Like I, I really was pretty um, adamant that I really try, wanted to try to ex, uh, expose them to natural things, you know? So I'm like, well, whatever made these cool guitars look this way, it was temperature or agents out there that they would come into in a bar and a club and a house, you know? Um, and so I kind of went down that road more than uh, you know, throwing screwdrivers at it. You know what I mean? Right. And, and I think there's a subtlety in there. And honestly, sometimes the subtlety gets lost from a distance. You know what I mean? You see a guitar on stage and it's kind of hard to tell, is that really beat up or is old? So I think I'm probably more subtle than some people. And that's maybe what some people like. Um, but it's, man, it's experimenting over and over, over the years, like checking, you know, trying to figure out what makes things check and is it the thickness? Yeah, it kind of is. Is it just the thickness? No. Is it the kind of lacquer? Yeah. Is it thickness and the lacquer? Yeah. I, I actually use two different kinds of lacquer to sort of accelerate that, you know? So my color coats and everything is one kind of lacquer. My clear coats are another, uh, you know, and, and Leo wasn't like, uh, he wasn't looking for the best lacquer. He was looking for the best deal on lacquer, you know? Yeah. So most of the stuff that we use is, uh, or, Again, we have we use kind of things in conjunction with each other, but but we use some pretty cheap lacquer, you know, um, and it lends itself to that, you know, it lends itself to looking old. And um, it's funny, I can't sort of give away my secrets, but there are some things around the house, like not around the house, but items that I've had that I've been aging these guitars with, that are like starting to break down, you know, like, you know what I mean? The little, my little things that I've had for 15 years that are like, okay, now I use this for this and this is this, like, wow, I got to find some new tool. You know what I mean? Even the yeah. natural things that you have over time break down. Um, it's funny, but we're, I'm always looking for, uh, I'm always looking for ways to recreate what nature has done. Cause it's the, the harder, the further you push it, the, the harder it is to make it look convincing, you know? You know, right. when, when you see a really, one, like something like a Roy Gallagher Strat or something, there's no, there's, 
there's no way you can make that look with stencils. You can't, it's never going to look right, you know? Um, and when you see things that are that worn, it's, it's fascinating to me, you know, seeing these old, like how did that, and I mean, I look at old guitars and I remember sitting there with Val and looking at you be like, that looks so fake. That's not really like where on a certain place. And if no, it, it could have been from some dude playing guitar in a wheelchair. You know, you just have no idea why it wears in a weird spot. Like people hold things weird or people wear it really high on a strap or, you know, and they play it for a long time like that. So just, it's fascinating to look at the old stuff. So I have a draw. It's interesting because some of the old stuff's getting so expensive. I mean, crazy money, but I kind of want to have some of it around just because I learned from it, you know, but it's getting pretty hard to afford that stuff to learn from it. Some of these, like, I'd really love to have a 60s telly, but like early 60s, I, you know, I wish I could just study one. I wish someone would say, hey, take mine for two weeks, you know, and just study it because boy, you can learn something uh, well, you hope to learn something. You can certainly study it and and theorize and try things out. You know, yeah, because you 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 learn by seeing it. And and another yeah. thing is, uh, you know, or even you know, because you can you can learn a fair amount by looking at pictures or you know books. Yeah. But but still, you know, holding it and looking at it, it's just yeah, it's priceless. So. It is because you can see guitars that. Uh, you know, have been artificially aged and you can see them in pictures and be like, that looks so perfect. And then you see it real and you're like, eh, it doesn't look quite the same in person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Same way around. You see pictures of something. There's a couple of dealers who sell really high dollar guitars who don't really take great pictures, you know, and you see it and you're like, that doesn't look half bad on their site. If you saw it in person, it would probably look amazing. Yeah. You know, um, there's something about those old ones, just the little details that you just, you don't see it till you hold it in your hand and just, you know, checking that doesn't come up in pictures and just subtle wear of the contours of the forearms. And oh, it's, man, I could, I have looked at my old guitars and just studied them in my hand under lights for hours, just hours. <laughs> so let, let's talk about how, uh, you know, it can be both a blessing and a curse to have success. Mm. And so you, you started yeah. having a lot of success and you started having a really long wait list for your guitars. Yeah. Tell us about that. Wow. So, you know, right off the bat, I'm just, it's, I'm unbelievably great. I'm the position I'm in. I, it's, I, I can't even fathom. I mean, I'm so grateful to be in this position. Um, but yeah, having the demand when, when you're, I'm not a businessman. It's interesting. We joke around, but it's sort of like, it's sort of like a popsicle stand that just sort of exploded. You know, we um, were a really small little company. I mean, it really kind of all comes down to me. And so custom orders were really fun. And, it, it, um, and it's really fun to put something into someone's hands and like I really and they dream it up you know and you you, you get it to them and they they love it and there's there's something so rewarding about that and so that's that's the blessing of custom orders you know when you just build stuff and put it out there people are like well that's I can't use that that's not for me it's not quite right for me and so I struggled going back and forth with you know I used to put things on the gear page and I'll take it and then it was like well 
I really want one big neck. Can't you make me? And so I slowly kind of got into custom orders because I want to satisfy my customers, you know, customer satisfaction was a huge deal. And man, it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but when you're running the business and your business is sort of held together by post-it notes, you know, it's a popsicle stand, you know, things are exploding. Um, it, it was really hard to juggle running the business and being the guy that's got to supply the product as it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, it was so small at first, but like my cell phone is the phone number for Danocaster, you know, and it still is, you know, so if someone's in, you know, Japan or in Australia and they need to call in the middle of the day, my phone ring, may ring at three o'clock in the morning just to find out how they can order a guitar, you know, things like that have never really changed. Um, but I stuck with it for the longest time because the I, because the interaction with customers has just been so great, you know, but as it got bigger and bigger, my drive, sort of my, my work ethic and my desire to sort of satisfy a people pleaser, I just kind of worked and worked and worked. And we were at one point doing about five guitars a week, which if you saw the size of our little popsicle stand, you'd be like, are you kidding me? People come over and want to see the factory. And I'm like, oh, here's our kitchen. And these are our dogs. And now we're walking into our basement. I mean, it's our house, you know? Yeah. Um, and man, it, it, uh, I really wanted to, to satisfy these people. And this list got longer and longer and longer. And it, it really, the list, as it got longer, the weight just got longer and longer. And, I'd, you know, I'd reach out, like, hey guys, here's ready. And I, what I'd do is I'd take a small deposit, build their guitar. And the time it took sometimes, there was a, as the wait got longer and longer, people weren't responding like, here's your guitar. And they wouldn't get back to me or, hey, ready to start your order. And they wouldn't get back to me. And it, just the business end of it really started, took more effort than the guitar part of it, you know? And everything was sort of bottlenecking at me and so we're like, well, maybe we can add another, uh, I got to give props to everybody on my team. My wife, Val, obviously does a ton of stuff. Paul, we mentioned earlier, who I paint with, JW, who does all our fret work, and Jay um, does wiring and, and all the setups, and all these guys are invaluable. I mean, I really, I couldn't do it without them. They all have other jobs. Every single one of these guys have a full-time job. So all of these five guitars a week is them doing it on the weekends and in the evenings and on the side. And um, so that helps you in perspective. We're not like a guitar business. You come over and it's like, Oh, everybody's got their bench. I mean, it's like a mom and pop popsicle stand, you know? Yeah. And, but it was great and it was really fun. And, and we're getting them in the hands of some famous people and some heroes. And it was, and the drive and the, and there's almost like a, um, Part Pause right here and just and just list off some of the, the names of the guys that you've been able to build guitars for. Well, early on, like Keith Urban was a big one. Um, when, I, when I picked up a dealer with Cliff uh, at LA Vintage, he was able to get they had like Rusty Anderson on stage with Paul McCartney, um, Val McCallum, who does all sorts of studio stuff, but he was out there with um, Jackson Brown. They're on. Uh, Neil Sean of Journey, um, you know, the list goes on and on. Lots of studio yeah. guys, 
in LA and here. It's, it's, it's been, really been great, you know? Yeah, and, and, and amazingly, it's all been word of mouth. Like I really, I haven't spent a single advertising dollar. Like I've never, I've never gone to NAMM and I've never taken out an ad, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, uh, you know, the uh, Julian Lodge album, Arc Light, oh, yeah, yeah. which is, which is, is it, is a Danocaster. And, uh, you know, of course, then he started playing an old, an old 53 and some other guitars, but I mean, that's still my, my favorite of his, uh, you know, uh, Telecaster themed albums is, uh, is a, yeah, is a Dano. So, so. What a gracious guy. He was, yeah. I mean, and there's so many names I, I, I you know, yeah. skipped over, but, um, but I, I should say, so, <coughs> excuse me. So while we were doing the, um, the custom order thing it was great and all that's going on you know but you know i just i should probably acknowledge that it uh it really can take its toll and it really took its toll on me you know after doing it for years and years in fact i hit a wall as probably everybody knew i've kind of posted something on instagram i hit a wall maybe a year and a half ago right where i had a line i mean i had a long line where it was like these people are kind of checking in saying like, it's coming up soon. And I'm like, man, it's a year. Like I, it was just things snowballed and it was way out of control. And I really, I wasn't happy anymore. I was working, 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 working weekends. I didn't, you know, my wife has a similar, similar work ethic and everybody else has day jobs. So we were just all just hustling, hustling. And for me, everything bottlenecked at me. And it really, I remember one day I was sitting there sanding, and my wife walks out and she looks at me and she goes, what I loved has become an anchor, like an anchor. And I think I just probably had tears to, and I was just, I hit a level of depression that was really, it was, it was dark and it was scary. And it was, I needed to stop. I mean, it yeah. was like, this is for you. You need, you need to stop. Yeah. And, and it really came to where I hadn't really played guitar, kind of stopped playing guitar and, you know, people call me like, hey, what's the cool new pedal? And I'm like, I, you know, I, I got a million guitars to build. I don't have time for guitar anymore. And, and it became a business and not a passion. And I really, I noticed it, it, it kind of, I, I stopped experimenting. You know what I mean? All that tweaking rabbit hole stuff that I was all excited about, like that came to a halt because there was no time I had, you know, I had guitars to build. But it got to where there was no way out except for out yeah and, and yeah and let me let me interject for just a second as as yeah. someone that, that that's known you for you know for a while mm -hmm. uh i would i would come over you know to to your place and you know it'd be a saturday afternoon and you're hard at work and oh, yeah. And, and yeah and you you'd give me about 10 minutes and then you'd be like sorry i got to get back to work yeah. And it was, it was like that, you know, and it was one I mean, of those Christmas things. Day, weekends, New Year's Eve. I mean, I just, I, yeah. I you know, I can't yeah. take a time off. Someone's Joe so-and-so is waiting for a guitar, you know? Exactly. And that's, that's one of the things that I don't think people, you know, understood because they're, they're just thinking, oh, I'm, I'm waiting in line. You know, I've, I've got my name on the list or something like that. And they don't realize that, okay. And, and I'll just say this as, as your friend, you know, here's a guy that's like, he's working all the time. He's working weekends. He's not taking a vacation because oh, yeah. he feels, cause you felt the pressure of I've got to fulfill these orders. I've got all these guys wanting guitars. Yeah. Well, and you feel the snowball of guys sort of getting upset because it's longer than you said. And 
you know, you know, and, and, you know, as someone who wants to make people happy, people are already upset because the line is so long. And then you're like, I'm really driving myself into a hole. You know, it was, you know, I just, it was not fair to that. It was just the whole situation got out of hand to where it need, something needed to change. Yeah. You want me to go on with that story? Yeah, and and so you know, just you know, yeah. you you made a post on on Instagram, basically yeah. indicating that you you were gonna you know potentially you know stop stop yeah. building, but then you know by stopping you you were able to learn more. Yeah, so I stopped and was like, I don't want to do guitar. I want to like sell real estate. I want to move to the beach. You know, yeah. and and we went as a family with our dogs. We kind of took these breaks, um, and that was really good. It was it was really good in a lot of ways. It was the break that I needed to get away from guitar and not even think about guitar for a while. And to see that there was something else I could do, you know, that there, I didn't have to do this, you know, that I could do something else. And just telling myself that and making that break was awesome. And so I came back sort of rejuvenated thinking, I'm not gonna do guitars anymore. I'm gonna just, I have all this inventory though. So I've gotta build out this stuff. So maybe I'll do the 30 last guitars and put them up on the 30 last guitars or whatever. But I mean, I was fully gone. Like it's yeah. fun to do these last ones. I'm kind of excited to do these last ones. I kind of feel invigorated to do these last ones because these are the last ones. You know, right. that's really how I approached the whole thing. And as I did it, I, I like a long time ago, I bought a laced painted jazz master. Yeah. And it was like, I remember thinking, It'd be so fun to try to recreate that someday. But then I lost interest in it. But now that I was back and I had Jazz Master, I thought, oh, maybe. And so that was one of the things I pursued in this time where I felt freedom to just knock out the rest of the inventory and do whatever I want with. And it was like, wow, that was fun. I mean, I did this lace thing and it was just something different. It was for me. It didn't matter if nobody liked it, but I thought it was cool, you know? And sparkles and things that I kind of said no to everybody for a long time because it was I didn't have time to experiment I was busy knocking things out you know that I really found a lot of joy again uh in in guitar and uh in, in ju just I found freedom again it was really that break was so good for me and really made me realize what I can and cannot do. And I, the custom order thing, I just, I can't go down that road again. I think if I had to do that, I would rather just do something. I mean, it, it, as I think it would kill my love of guitar again is really what it comes down to. You know, the way I'm wired and kind of filling orders and knowing that the orders would kind of stack up, I'd be right back to where I was. And no matter how much they sold for, or no matter what the deal was, fulfilling orders like that, it would, there's something about it that's just not for me. And there's lots of guys who do it amazingly well, but I would rather keep my joy of guitar and do something else. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's so that kind you, of you, hard you, to explain why but, something, why the custom orders kind of kill something, but it's, but they really, there's a joy that gets robbed for me somehow. Yeah, or but it, it, it's more, it did enough times that I'm so protective and so afraid of it happening again, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's the difference between someone, you know, someone saying, even for me, 
let, let's say somebody, you know, like I get the idea, I want to interview Dan versus someone else telling me, you need to interview Dan. And I might even agree with it, but there's just something about when it's, you're inspired to do something and you're inspired to create a certain guitar. And uh, yeah, it just, it just has a better feeling about it. Yeah. And when there's, and it's interesting because for me, you know, I think part of it is this, and this is, this is a big distinction. I have been so many, you know, major props to guys like Mario Martin and Jeff Sand and guys that can build a guitar from, you know, lumber right behind that. That's not, that's not me. And I come at it much more. I mean, I have guys on my team that make sure these things play and feel great. I mean, that's part, obviously we need to make a great guitar, but my passion is coming. I come at it much more of as an artist. You know, I don't mean that as an artiste, but I mean, what thrills me about it is getting the feel and the aesthetic and everything that in that there's, I really put myself into it. I mean, I really, I really pour my heart and soul into them. Maybe more than someone who is a, a craftsman. If that, well, yeah, you think maybe they would put even more of themselves in it. Cause I don't, I don't know, but, but for me, I can't imagine putting more of myself into these than I do. Right. And because I come at it from more of an artist standpoint, there's a lot of emotion attached to it, emotional attachment. So, and I've learned over the years to kind of, Hey, Mel, you know, when you see someone selling your Dano caster, it doesn't mean it's crappy. It just means they need the money or they, it's a good investment, you know, but yeah. they're all like my children. And it's taken a long time to not be so, personal about it and so when you add that the custom orders of all these people who want their babies and i'm trying to make them guitars that are so personal to me and there's so much emotion evolved in it for me it wasn't just a checklist thing i was trying to pour myself into it and i think i poured all of me into it yeah you know to where there yeah. were i just I, I emptied myself to where there was no me for a while yeah so so you were able to take some time off and, yep. and in building those, those, what were supposed to be the last 30, you kind of, yeah. you, you found that, that, you know, you still did enjoy doing it, but again, you yep. kind of, you switched gears and that you're not going to do custom orders. You were going to build what inspired you. Exactly. So you start doing it again and then you start posting the guitars on Instagram and, and then it's, uh, you know, the first person. And so this, <laughs> you know this this other as what happens in life sometimes you come up with a new solution yeah. and it has and of course every solution has its own set of problems that go with it right. and so the thing that would happen is is that someone would say mine and the problem is is that the default on instagram is not that it goes in the order of time and so someone would see that you know that they put mine and they thought they were first and then they didn't get it and, and yeah. i mean it's the Instagram thing was really fun because it was sort of a lottery thing and someone who's wanted to get one for a while, you know, part of, part of where we're at right now is we're only doing two guitars a week, you know? No. So there's just no way that supply is going to meet demand, you know? And so you put it on Instagram and they get snapped up, but yeah, it was a lot of time, a lot of time explaining to people, no, here's the chronological order. And actually you're seventh, not first. And, or people that would join Instagram very frustratedly, like I'm not on social media, but if this is the only way, you know, like some people loved it, like yeah. it's, a, it's a game. 
And other people are like, I hate social media. I, don't, I hate Instagram. And if this is, you know, you know, so it was fun and frustrating for people right off the bat, but then people who were into the game, sort of speak, and were thinking they got it and they didn't and repeatedly, and then the same people would maybe get them over and over and that would make people mad. So sort of not, no matter how you do it, there was an issue with it, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, or a lot of people were like, for instance, they would join Instagram and say mine, but then didn't know like, okay, you're probably gonna get a message from me that you need to check that says, okay, hey, you got it, it's yours. So they would say mine and then never come back. And I don't know who they are because their name is Rabbit568, you know? Right. How do you get in touch with Rabbit568, you know? Yeah. Or whatever, Telecaster Gold or something. Yeah. So it was really fun, but it's it's been a whole nother set of issues that with every guitar I sell that would sell quickly, there was a lot, there was someone really happy and a lot of people were really frustrated at the process and not understanding how it worked. And again, that led to the whole thing. Now people are frustrated again, you know? Yeah. They're frustrated at me, you know? Right. And and at the end of the day, yeah. Dan, you're just wanting to build guitars and you have this other aspect where you're having to play social media guy and referee and also to, you know let people down and just tell them the facts that no you weren't the first one or you know yeah you're trying to track them down and trying to tell them you you uh, you get the guitar but you need to contact me back yeah i mean you the time that if i do two guitars a week the time that i spend talking to all those people it, i could probably build another guitar really honestly you know yeah. um so then, so, so then, go ahead. So ultimately, trying to find a trying to find a new solution, you know, and people, you know, it would be wonderful. I would love to have a place where people could check out a couple. You know, they could sit down and, hey, here's one, here's this one, and take their pick. You know, I just don't know how to make that happen. You know, even so, it was like, well, let me just go back to the dealers, and you know, and and what happened is. I went to two dealers who both have really nice shops. Um, Chris at Amelia, Amelia Island Fine Guitars in Florida and Cliff at LA Vintage Gear in Los Angeles. They're both really nice shops, super nice boutique stuff, great customer service vibe. If you want to walk in, they both ship internationally. But as soon, and so they both agreed, like, and I just kind of said, look, these are what I'm selling the guitars for. They're, they're being flipped at this price. Like, I just want to sell guitars. Can I just make my guitars and give them to you guys and we figure out what you're going to sell them for and we'll just figure that out. But I just, I got to get the business out of it. You know, it's just the idea of, and even on Instagram, and again, these are small problems, you know, the small problems, but they, because it's all attached to guitar, it kind of kills the love of guitar. If my whole, like, you know, God bless the people that work at Guitar Center, but like I couldn't work in a retail music store because when I got home, I wouldn't want to play guitar anymore, you know? Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out how to get the business end of it out. And I think they've run into a bit the same thing because I post a guitar, hey, headed here. And like the first day they're like, what do I do? I, I got 10 people who left their credit card on my answer machine, like I'll take it. And I'm like, that's what I'm running into, you know? Yeah. Your problem, that's how you're gonna earn your, you know, money. But it's a problem. <laughs> I mean, I, and I, I, I got a you know pretty nasty Instagram message from a guy who's 
you know, people are frustrated no matter. I just want to get them to everybody, but I just don't know how to do it. You know? Yeah. I, I would love to make everybody a guitar at a super reasonable price. I just don't know how to do it because the line gets too long, too fast. You know, I don't, I don't, it's frustrating trying to find an answer because no matter what you do, even the current situation, some people are super excited because now they can call from Europe or whatever and be like, Hey, can I get that one? You just posted the price went up a little bit. Some people, you know, but it is, but we've worked really hard at this for a long, long time. And we're only doing two guitars a week. And if something happens to the current team, it's such a family that may be the end of it, to be perfectly honest, you know? Yeah. So it is what it is. Two guitars a week. I, I wish I could make 10 to satisfy everybody and to make everybody happy, but, but I can't. And that's the hardest thing for me is not being able to satisfy the customers. That's the hardest. Yeah. Honestly, that's the hardest thing for me, especially because you know how I'm wired. You know, I was like, man, I'm a people pleaser. I want to make people happy. I want to put that guitar in the hands that, you know, but for every guitar that I make, there's five good friends and 20 people I don't know that kind of want that guitar. And it's, it's hard to, it's hard to juggle. I mean, it's a great problem to have. I, yeah, it sounds yeah. like I'm complaining. I'm sorry. Cause I'm not complaining, but no, but it's still, it's, it's still, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a balancing act. Yeah. yeah. It's a balancing act. Yeah. So that's where we're at now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, but I, I, I'm having a lot of fun. I tell you the guitars, just the last couple of days, I'm making I'm making ones that I'm excited about and makes me, you know, when I start going, hey, should I keep this one? Like, I've done that to a couple of guitars lately. Like, when I'm thinking maybe I should keep this one for me, that's where I know I'm getting my freedom back, you know? And right. I even feel just the lift from the dealer thing. I mean, just like, hey, made two guitars, one goes here, one goes here. And like, not waiting for wires to come internationally and not worrying about all the, like, just that little thing it's going to make me happier. I think it's going to make my guitars better. If that makes any sense, you know? Absolutely. The because more joy I have to put into them, that's definitely where I put my joy is in the guitars, you know? Yeah, because then you, you have this whole section of your head that you had to wrap around, you know, dealing with that situation. Now you're able to pass that off. Oh, and yeah. now it's, it's getting more and more toward, you're getting down to the core thing. This is what I love. I love making guitars and and being inspired and then yeah you're putting more and more of yourself into it and I'm, yeah. I'm really glad that you explained you know your team and just how you know how these guitars come about because you know for years people have wondered you know it's like what what is what is Danocaster? It's like, what, you know, what is it like, you know, because people could think that, yeah, that you had like some factory and you're just being selfish. It's like, or, or they think I'm a guy doing it all myself. Right. You know what I mean? That people don't realize how big my team is. And honestly, you know, it's sort of counterproductive, but if you think about it, when the fact that I'm, I have this team to, and I'm, I'm having someone, I mean, I'm getting the best necks and the best bodies and another shout out to Mario Martin, you know, he has kept the, when we never really talked about all the wood spots. Yes, yeah, we need, yeah, we'll cover but that. But boy, there's what's happening with Ash and everything. He has been so, he's here in, out in Murfreesboro and he's really helped me get some fine, fine, fine bodies. So that's great. But um, yes, let's, let's hit on that. So, so if people aren't aware, I mean, Fender put out a press release a couple of months ago. And the, the, the point is, is that Swamp Ash which is the light ash that you want for, for Telecasters so that they don't aren't boat anchors. 
uh, has is becoming harder and harder to come by, and it's it's something you know across the board. And so you know, one there's there's alternate woods you can use, but they're not vintage. Now there is alder, which was used on plenty of yeah. you know of, of strats, and also you know solid you know solid colored uh, and the tele customs and stuff like that were alder. But yeah, go go into that. Yeah, so you know, we've taken it for granted for the longest time. And I, with Mario, giving me the such great, for the longest time, yeah, I want really great swamp ash. And where we live, uh, we've had access to it, you know, and it's, it's, but there's an invasive species that's really eating it all up. And it's really getting to the point where you just can't get anymore. I mean, like they're, everybody, the, the mills are shutting down, the, the mills that are, we're, we're doing ash. And um, so, something's going to have to change. I mean, I, if you, I don't know if you can see behind me, but there's a lot more alder than I normally use. Right. Uh, so, you can see the darker color. Yeah. The alder. Darker color. Um, and I'll probably be doing more alder just because that's available still. And it's a little bit heavier and, but it's also a very authentic sound. I mean, really Fender used ash early on, uh, on the Telecasters, but by the time you got into the sixties, almost all that custom color stuff, that's all alder, you know? And yeah. I've been doing ash just because it's so great to make a six and a half pound guitar, you know? Um, but, I, you know, now we're at a crossroads and you can still make that light guitar using polonia wood or, you know, some other, you know, some people are using, uh, you know, pine tellies and different stuff. You know, I may experiment with that um, because right now I'm still able to get ash that's a decent weight. For me, I think I'd rather stay with ash and go a tiny bit heavier because my old guitars are heavier than my Danocasters, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't really mind a seven and a half pound guitar. I don't want an eight and a half pound guitar, but a seven and a half pound guitar is fine. My, my vintage Telecasters, almost eight pounds, you know, heavier than heavier than you with your little one piece six and a half pound what is his way <laughs> yes six and a half pound but you know but it was covered in krylon blue and everything but so but you're hitting on some important things so one i just want to make sure people understand that like alder was all the strats made after like 56 were alder unless it was mary Kay and any right. telecaster that had a solid finish or oh or the, the telecustoms with the binding, those were always alder. And yep. so alder is a, is a great, you know, is certainly, great you know, yeah. And, yeah. It, and it has a little bit more mids, you know, yeah. than, than sometimes that Ash does. And so, yeah. but it was just that you, the way, the way it comes across is that you're, you're kind of saying you were spoiled and that you had so much good Ash that was, yeah. you know, that was coming I mean, in I was, and it's like, why don't you use it? Yeah. During the, um, the freaking era, or during the era when I was just taking orders, I did a lot more alder because people didn't know I want an alder. That's what they were, and I get that. But when it came time to me doing whatever I want, and I had access to such beautiful lightweight ash, and I'd sort of worked a formula on how to make that lightweight ash sound big and bold, you know, like an alder maybe would, um, I went with that. So yeah. I will almost certainly be tweaking my formulas a little bit as. If I use a little bit heavier ash, if it's like, oh, it's a little bit this, I need to tweak this. Or as I move to alder, I wouldn't be surprised one bit if I uh, if I tweak my pickup, you know, formulas and stuff. Yeah, and then I just want to drill yeah. down on the on the weight thing in mm -hmm. that we've gotten 
I think guitarists have gotten spoiled in the last like decade or two in that all these guitars are being made that are lighter than the average of vintage instruments way lighter yes so just so you know so people know vintage fenders tended to be in the seven and a half pound range yeah yes there were some that were you know under seven pounds you know like my esquire is six and a half pounds but that's not the norm at all so all of a sudden, you know, you you were building all these guitars that were, I mean, most of the tellies were under seven pounds. A lot of them were six and a half and, yeah. and you know, up to seven. And so now it's just, you're going to have to go up into the range of like, like I have a 67 telly that it's, you know, it's seven and a half pounds. And that's yeah. kind of the the norm for that that's era. Cool. Yeah. And that feels, that doesn't feel heavy to me. No, it's not heavy at all. Yeah. So, but, it, but yeah. we're used to sort of more vintage guitars too, but I know. I don't think it's going to affect the. I don't think it's going to affect the tone. Like I'm not really worried about the formula changing, losing the ash. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. when they got really light, some people like that. I'm okay with it not being super light. I, you know, sort of my favorite ones were closer to seven. You know. Yeah. Um. So I think it's going to be good. I but I but I will have to probably tweak some things. Uh, you know, some pickup probably pickup formulas more than anything, but. Um, yeah. But that's coming. I don't think, uh, I don't think I'll go to the lighter woods just yet. But we'll have to, we'll have to see. Yeah. So we still have a little ways, but but it's it's going to change. And so everybody who wants, you know, one piece, six and a half pound ash bodies, you know, or ash telecasters or whatever, it's, that's those days are going quick, you know. But yeah. we'll still have great guitars, and there's still lots of. I forgot what fenders they're they're experimenting with something. I'm trying to think what it was, but everybody's experimenting with different stuff all these different wood names you've never heard of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, you, know, you gotta find something. Yeah. You know, you gotta you find something. So if I were to drill down and say, I know, I know this is hard as an artist, but what do you think is different about your guitars? What do you think? Why, why do you think you have this waiting list like this? What is it? Whew. Um, You know, it's hard for me to say. I, I right. think, I think there's something. I worked really hard to make them feel like an old friend, if that makes sense. To like a lot of that's the neck. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. when you pick it up, I, I want in the same way that the those guitar the guitars that we love they bring out in us wanting to pick them up and hold them. I've really tried hard to, and it probably has to do more with the neck, but just sort of the synergy on them being comfortable and feeling like something that's maybe been together for a while. And uh, I don't, it's, it's very yeah. intangible, very kind of hard to say, but the kind of the old friend, the sort of old, man, I feel like I've, I've had this for a while. Yeah. That's the best, that's what I'm shooting for. That's what I'm shooting for. Will you, uh, will you go, get your personal Dano. Yeah. You want me to get that? Yeah. yeah. Oops. There it is. <laughs> lace painted this started out um teal green oh it started out white 
And then we laid a lace over it and shot it teal green. And, uh, and then as we started yellowing, tinting the green, the white of the lace became golden. That's a, a really beautiful look. And, you know, as someone that owns a, uh, you know, a, a Paisley Telecaster, I can tell you that, you know, people really, uh, you know, because we're so used to kind of solid colors on Telecasters mm -hmm. or maybe, maybe a sunburst, but that the lace finish is really, really neat. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's really striking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what I like about it is it's kind of a hippie thing, which is kind of neat for me. It's a yeah. 60s hot rod technique really is where it came from and unlike um a paisley or some kind of decal or sticker because you're shooting through lace it's imperfect you know so when you look at it you kind of see like oh the lace was like lifted up a little bit there we you know it's like it's yeah there's beauty in the imperfection of you could tell it wasn't like a perfectly laid stencil you know what i mean it was like a loosely laid thing. There's something, that's what I love about it. It's just different and kind of a 60s throwback hippie thing. I love it. It's something fun and different. No, it's it's really cool. And what are the the other, so like on your personal guitar, like what's the neck shape that you have on there? So, you know, the way that my personal guitar comes out, I just kind of finish one and I'm like, wow, I maybe want to keep that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this right here is my 0.86, my chunky C. Okay. Uh, had I known that the guitar was going to turn out the way it did, I probably would have had the larger V. Um, but I like them all. I like, you know, so this is not one I put together for myself. I put it together to sell and then was like, wow, I kind of dig this thing, you know? And in yeah. fact, I don't know when this is going to air, but I just finished a nearly identical guitar to this one. And I just finished taking pictures of it this morning. So I'm going to post it on Instagram today. And it looks just like it, looks just like it. But Val keeps on saying, yeah, that new one's cool. Or the flowers are more. And I'm just like, and it's got the V-neck. It's kind of like, I wish the new one I'm about to post was mine. But I've been dialing this thing in. I've got the pickups all tweaked. But that's what happens is I see another one. I'm like, oh, yeah. But again, that's a good problem to have where you, you want to keep the, new, the yeah. newest guitars and, that you're making. No. Yeah. You know, if I want to keep it, you're kind of getting you're get you're getting something that I'm excited about, you know. Yeah. But yeah, right now, yeah. Anyway, so it's it's really it's really fun doing stuff like this, and I'm. It's really exciting to be building guitars the way we're doing now. I got I got things on my bench that I'm really excited about to work on, like later on today, and you know I wasn't there eight months ago, so it's really excited. I'm really excited to kind of feeling the juice to be creative and do something. And I, and I really feel like, um, I feel like we're gonna do some of the best stuff we've ever done. I really am ex I'm excited. I mean, we're always tweaking, but I, I feel a little bit more pressure off and a little bit more freedom now to kind of maybe go further down those rabbit holes, you know? Yeah. Well, Dan, this has been a real treat, and I really appreciate you uh, taking the time, and, and especially after I've harassed you for, you know, probably going on five years. You know. Yeah, well, it was worth it. You got, you eventually got me, and I, I really appreciate you having me, and, and that's been really fun to talk. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dan. Thanks, Zach. All right. Bye-bye. Okay.